everybody. Welcome back to Women's Fire. I'm your host, Michelle Thomas. All right. Um, my guest today is a woman who also has a podcast here in the Driftless area. And several months ago, I had the idea of possibly reaching out to other podcasters um, because I assume I'm not the only one of other women doing podcasts. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes me a few months to actually do the thing. Um, and so a few weeks ago, I reached out um, on a local Facebook page to see if anyone else is doing podcasting. And, um, and uh, my guest here, uh, Vicki Reeves, she contacted me and we were able to set this up. And she's so lovely. And um, I really love the conversation. I hope you will, too. She is a life coach and, like I said, has this podcast Um Shine Freely. You can check out her website at shinefreely.com. Please welcome Vicki Reeves. Hi, Vicki. Thanks for coming in. Hey, Michelle. It's great to be here. Right. Um, you're one of the first guests I've had that I really did not know anything about <laughs> before we connected. And I'm sure I'll mention in the intro, but um, I it kind of occurred to me that there's maybe other women doing podcasting around here in most of the... because. Well, first of all, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of really interesting women in totally. this area. And so, um, but that was kind of another like uh, area or like little pool that I was like, wait a minute, what are other women podcasting around here and what are they podcasting about and whatnot? So that's how I found you or we found each other, Yes, <laughs> I guess I would say. And so um, I did read your bio. You sent me your website. Um, so... I have that gist, but I usually like to start by, um, you know, you can pick the highlights you want, um, like how you got here to kind of where you are. So you are not from Wisconsin. No, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like, I feel like my life is such a wild story (laughs) that I never really know how to sum it up, but I guess the two minute version would be something like, uh, I was born and raised in Texas, right outside of Austin. Seventh generation Texan. I'm very proud of my Texan heritage. So lots yeah. of times people like to give me a hard time for that, but I, I think that they just haven't discovered the magic that is Texas. Yeah. Well, do you get because like Austin is the place to be? Now. That's true. Do you ever like are people like why are you here and not? Yeah. I mean, for sure, people wonder why I'm here because <laughs> I, I lived. I was living uh, outside of Ontario for ten years, which for those of you who don't know, is a town of, of I don't know four hundred people or so. Uh, and people are really like, how on earth did you end up here? Yeah. Um, so born and raised in Texas, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church. My mom was a pastor and started yeah. her own church when I was really young, and I was very involved in all of that. I always had a big, like, spiritual focus to my life. And I spiritual slash psychological, like, I really wanted to understand, like, what is this human experience that we're all having? And why and what is it that's similar between all of us and what's different and why do we experience things differently um was there like an incident where you noticed that was coming up for you or you, that's just been an identifying no for me it's always been this case since i was very young and it's still the case today where i just have this like insatiable like 
why isn't everyone else thinking and talking about this all the time? Like, this is the only thing that's really interesting about life is life itself. <laughs> um, so I just had that from a young age and then went on to study psychology. Um, I did, like, in my late teenage years, early 20s, was struggling with my own mental health, with uh, depression and anxiety. And I knew that I was, like, capable of doing a lot of meaningful things that would have a big impact on other people. And I just needed someone to give me like a method to work with to, to help me basically regulate my emotions was what I was thinking about at the time because my emotions were just so big and unpredictable and uh, hard to get my hands around a bit. And right around that time, I was introduced to Buddhism from one of my best friends. and you know, immediately was just like, wow, here's a very specific method that I can use to work with my mind so that I can be more beneficial to others. And I started meditating, I was 21, and within like six months, I was able to go off the psychiatric medications I was on and I'd reached this place of just like emotional stability and surplus, I had a lot of energy. Um, I ended up traveling around the world for a few years and studying Buddhism in India. And then I'd always had this really big wish to live at a retreat center on the countryside, uh, even since I was young. And so the Buddhist organization that I was part of found a property outside of Ontario, Wisconsin, of all places, uh, of about 90 acres, and we were ready to buy it. And as soon as I saw the pictures before I even owned it, I just had this very strong sense, like, oh, this is my home. And so I came up to visit, and uh, long story short, I was, I was planning to move here and came up to visit while I was planning to move here. And then during that visit, uh, I fell in love with a man that was living at the retreat center. And so then it was just like, okay, it's now time to move here. So I moved here and was very involved in just everything that went on at the retreat center and also, of course, in my own spiritual practice um, and was really dedicated to that for about 10 years and also locally found a job at Organic Valley and was working there for about the same amount of time, 10 years. Um, and then I burnt out really hard and I had to Can I ask what that looked like? everything. Yeah, what totally. How did you know you were burnt out? Whew. Great question. Or I might. I'm even wondering how long were you burnt out before you actually realized you were burnt That's out. That's a really good question. Yeah. So, when COVID hit, um, I had a one week that was like, "Wow, what a week!" On a Sunday, it was like the first Sunday in March 2020. My husband and I decided that we were ready to separate. The next day, we get the email that school's canceled because of this mysterious virus. So we're kind of like, ah, oh, shit, like, what are we going to do about childcare? And we had no idea, of course, what was coming with the pandemic. The next day, the shelter in place order went to effect. And then the following day, the job that my husband had lined up fell through because of the shelter in place order. So it was just like four days in a row, just like bam, 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 bam. Mm -hmm. Then we quarantined together for five months. <laughs> and during that time, no, actually, it was a bit after that. So, okay. So we separated, and then, I like, just the logistics of being a single mom, trying to get through COVID, having a full-time job, doing all this full-time volunteer work at the retreat center, 
it just was so much. And because of the kind of COVID childcare logistics, I wasn't able to get all of my work hours in during the day. So I would put my kid to bed, inevitably fall asleep with her because I was so exhausted. And then at like 9.30 p.m., I would wake up and think, oh, I still have like five hours of work to do. So I'd peel myself out of bed and work on my computer till like two in the morning. Um, and then there was one day in February, I'd probably been doing that for like six months at this point. And I remember I was working on something till two in the morning and I didn't finish. And so I went to bed, but I was like, I have to get up at four to finish this. So I'll get two hours of sleep and hope that that, you know, gets me through the day. Mm -hmm. Now I would never even attempt something like that. <laughs> I learned the hard way, but that's what I did. So I, I went to bed at two, woke up at four. And when I stepped out of my bed, I got vertigo mm -hmm. and I could just feel in my body, the best way I can describe it, it was like a car that was completely out of gas, yeah. just like absolutely running on fumes. And I remember having this feeling that like something was gonna happen, like my body was just gonna shut down, one, maybe one of my organs was gonna fail or something. I was like, I don't, I don't know what's happening in my body right now, but I can tell that there's like no life energy left in it. And I was getting pretty nervous because I was like, I don't, I don't really know what to do. Like, I just go to the doctor and tell them I feel like I'm dying, you know? Like, right. So I don't know how to describe this. My life force is depleted. <laughs> right. Uh, but fortunately, coincidentally, or however you view these things, that day, one of my good friends who is an emergency room doctor was coming over to the retreat center. So I was like, oh, great. Well, I'll just ask her to save my life. Right. <laughs> um, and so right at that same time, a good friend of mine had just been telling me about a conference she had gone to where they were talking about burnout and research around burnout and some research that had shown that it takes 18 to 24 months to recover. Wow. And when she told me that, my jaw hit the floor and I started panicking hmm. because I knew that I was about to burn out. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have 18 to 24 months right. to spend recovering from this. So like, what do I do? What do I do? I was like frantic, like, how do I not burn out? How do I not burn out? So there's this, this day comes, I'm having vertigo. I'm thinking my body's about to shut down. My ER doctor friend comes, you know, she assesses my symptoms and is like, okay, you know, you're, I don't think we need to take you to the emergency room. You're, you're okay, but you know, we should watch these things or whatever. And and so then I keep, I keep hearing myself telling her this narrative around how, like, I'm burning out, I'm about to burn out, what am, you know. And she finally just kind of stops me. She says, Vicki, you're not about to burn out. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that when you said, like, how do I not burn out? I'm like, I actually think that's what your body's telling you is it's done. It was, it's it was so amazing. Like, I, I, it was so amazing to me that I didn't see it. And then when she said that, the moment she said that, it was like this mountain of weight fell off my shoulders. Yeah. It was like, okay, now I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd say that was kind of, um, that was kind of like the starting point of me realizing that I was burnt out and that I needed to do something about it. But it took me a long time to figure out how to do something about it. So. I kept working full time and, you know, doing all this not sleeping and all this volunteer work, all that kind of stuff. I kept doing that for, you know, at least six more months, maybe longer. Um, and it finally got to the point where, you know, my job situation was, it, it just wasn't possible for me to stay in it anymore. It was just not working. 
And so I left my job. I moved out of the retreat center. I didn't have any energy to do all this volunteer work that I had been doing for so long. Um, and basically started a process of, well, first was really just like entirely focused on recovery. Like, how do I just, how do I just learn how to rest, actually? Yeah. I noticed how challenging it was for me to just let myself lay down on the couch and rest because I had this incessant like narrative going on in my head that was like you should be working you should be doing something productive you should be there's all these things to do like you need to do 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 like you can't well, rest I think especially for women I mean I think men too but I in my practice have had many women um, as clients who part of something that we're working on is their narrative of being lazy mm -hmm. if they're resting or taking a break or needing downtime. And, um, you know, I grew up in this culture too. I very much have, and we all do, you know, there, that's not, um, there's no rewards <laughs> for yeah. um, taking care of yourself. So I'm even curious, even when you said that about like, oh, I actually am like broken down here and still did it for six more months because it doesn't feel like a choice. Right. Right. Exactly. That's it's not so like, well oh, I actually, um, I guess I just won't do this. Uh, what, have a job to provide for my daughter, take care of my daughter, right. you know, um, do the, even like, like, let's say if the stuff at the retreat was more like spiritually fulfilling. So then what, you're going to cut that out so that now all you have is work and stuff that doesn't fill you up. And I did that too. When I moved out of the retreat center, I was kind of like uh, noticing that lack of, you know, fulfilling sense of purpose that gives all of us such meaning to our lives. I was, I was kind of hungry for that without the retreat center. And so what I did was like the first thing I could think of was like, oh, well, here's my job. I'll just pour all of myself into my job and like find some sense of purpose there. That was a huge mistake. <laughs> that was a really big mistake. Like, oh, um, you can give even more? Okay. And I'd say, honestly, since then, so it's been um, almost two years now, and that I've been, like, really largely focused on recovering from all this. So this whole, like, 18 to 24 months to recover, I would say is pretty accurate. Yeah, I think so, too. I will tell you briefly, I felt similarly a couple years ago. I think it was when my fourth kid weaned, was potty trained, and I just, my body was done. I don't know. Like, I, my brain was so foggy. My, um, like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, I'm actually done with this, like, yeah. constant caretaking and the night nursing and stuff like that. But it was almost like now my body was able to just completely, like, fall apart or something like that. I don't know. Yes. And I even more for me, it was a lot of mental stuff of like, I can't keep all these balls in the air anymore. I'm forgetful. I'm, um, you know, potentially this is hormonal, um, and feeling like I'm probably about, yeah, two years out from that and feeling like, oh, I, th I think I can like have coherent thoughts now. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, and like, um, feel like I've recovered something yeah. that had been lost yeah and it's amazing how much that recovery process is about things like learning how to rest instead yep. of learning how to do more well and I also thought because I totally agree I f would just lay on the couch at two o'clock in the afternoon if I was home 
I only work, I work a couple of days a week and otherwise I'm home. And, uh, and then feeling weird when my kids would see me mm-hmm. like resting, but then also feeling like, well, this is what it is to normalize rest yes. for your kids. And maybe you don't need to take a two hour nap, but you could just put your feet up for 15 minutes. Exactly. You know, but just to, that's not in my, that was not like, um, you know, anything I saw growing up or, um, or actually, I guess that's because I saw mm, people sitting watching TV. I saw a lot of that, but not like rest. Yeah. You know, like actually restorative resting. And what I've noticed uh, about myself is that, you know, my whole life, I always had this big motivation to just work for others and do stuff Mm. for others, you know, growing up in the church and then in the Buddhist environment, just like this big, you know, meaningful way to approach life where you just want to share and give and offer. Um, But I didn't realize until just the last two years during this recovery process that I was excluding myself from what I wanted to give to. I was, you know, I was, I was looking at everyone else outside and saying, ah, oh, look, they're all such wonderful people. They deserve everything, all the joy in the world and all the fearlessness and all compassion. But I was absolutely cutting myself out from that picture and not willing to give myself any of that compassion and joy. And so I, after I left my job, then I, I was like at a really low point and I started working with coach and started to, yeah, just notice actually what was going on inside for me for the first time, which before that I would have thought like, oh, that's just, that's just like self-absorbed to spend all this time thinking about yourself or something like that. I would have had these judgments about it. Um, But I I started to discover how useful it was Mm -hmm. uh, and how much I was learning and also how fascinating it was. Uh, So then I decided I wanted to become a coach. And actually what I most loved about coaching is the way that it really um, is about the client discovering their own answers and not giving them answers. And I'm sure that you're doing this a lot in therapy Mm -hmm. as well. Um, But I've always had such an aversion and allergic reaction to like people telling me what to do. I'm a total rebel. And so, you know, if someone tells me something about myself, I'm like, whatever. But if you if I get to discover it and notice it and observe it and whatever, then it becomes so empowering for me. Um, And it also protects against abuse of power, which is something that I'm very passionate about. Mm. So I decided I wanted to become a coach. Um, And then also at that same time, I kind of rediscovered this person, Dr. Gabor Mate. Mm -hmm. And I had seen him at a conference about 10 years before, and I was really struck by he was actually the saddest person I've ever seen and I was really drawn to him I really wanted to just like sit next to him and that struck me because at that time in my life I was always very drawn to joy and so I was like wow it's so weird that this person is so sad and I just want to be next to them like why am I drawn to someone that's so sad um and now and so I I've been studying in his program a 13-month program called Compassion Inquiry And now what I would say about him and probably the reason I was drawn to him at the time was that he's absolutely fearless when it comes to emotional pain, which is something that I've had a lot of in my life. Um, And now looking back, you know, at my Buddhist meditation practice for a long time, while I gained so much from it and it was a massive, massive gift to my life uh, that I would never want to change. 
I also think that in a way I was using my meditation practice to avoid my emotions. Yeah. And I've since completely changed my view on emotions through doing this work, this compassionate inquiry work, through studying my own emotions, really like looking inside and asking hard questions and allowing myself the time and the space to just sit with my emotions, like my intense fears or sadness, and to not try to like explain them away or, or not try to be like, oh, I need to be tougher, I need to think about others, I need to stop thinking about myself, but to actually allow myself to feel it, all these things that I've been running away from feeling for so long. Yeah. And um, it's so mind-blowing every single time that I do this, where I just let myself feel something, and now I get to observe it in others, my clients, when I work with them, every single time they just have a few seconds to sit with their pain. There's such relief that mm -hmm. follows. It, and it's like this great acceptance that it's like, ah, okay. So like pain is real. It's not, it's, it's not anything anyone's making up, but it's also not something that we have to run away from. Well, in, in fact, is counterproductive Exactly. to run away from because it catches up at some point. You know, I used to <clears throat> work in a jail wow. with moms, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and pregnant women, and um, we did some individual work and mostly did a parenting group. Um, anyway, and when I would meet with the women, a lot of them have trauma mm -hmm. and addiction, um, and they were so fearful of confronting the trauma, and rightfully so, especially in that environment, because yeah. you don't want to exactly feel, feel vulnerable, safe, right? <laughs> right. But something I would often, or just like a visualization that came to me, is like they're trying to walk down this path, or I always thought of it maybe like a tunnel or something like that, and there's like their trauma ball mm -hmm. <laughs> is like sitting there, and they're trying to go over it, under it, around it, like avoid it, go the other way, whatever it is. And I just am like, you have to go through it. Totally. Like you have to get super messy in it. I love it doesn't that. Feel, super messy. Yeah, it doesn't feel good to be surrounded. Like if you step into this ball of trauma, right. it doesn't feel good to like be surrounded by it. Um, but at least you're dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And you can get to the other side of it and through it so that it can be where it's supposed to be, which is, you know, just like back there. Yeah. And, and um, it's been seen and heard, and now you can move on. And it's totally. like you earn that. Totally. Kind of, you know? And what I've discovered through this compassionate inquiry work as well is, um, I love this, this ball image, and I've now started seeing these balls as like treasure chests. <laughs> because what's been mind-blowing for me to experience is that, yes, there's all this pain, there's all this mud and maybe blood and sweat and tears, uh, you know, on the outside of this treasure chest, but there's incredible insight inside of it. And the only way to get to that insight, it, like you have to come into contact with all the ugly stuff on the outside. There's no way around it. And you could stay away from it, but if you stay away from it, you're never going to find the insight that's inside of that treasure chest. And I really do mean it's like, like the most profound treasures that can add so much to our lives and can free us up from so much of this, these things that we're trying to run away from, is actually all right there, right inside of us. Right. Well, and that I think a lot of that insight ultimately is about us 
right? It's not yes. about like, oh, I, I, I know now what other people, like, I don't know, like our own insight into ourselves actually affects, you know, how we interact with other people and then affects Absolutely. them, right? Like this, well, like you were saying, having avoided taking care of yourself or really knowing yourself or like that's egocentric or right. whatever is actually the key to like unlocking our gifts yeah. that affect the world in a way that Beautifully said. The, yeah. Another thing that, you know, is just continues to blow my mind on a daily basis, even though it seems so simple, <laughs> is that I'm, I notice now, uh, particularly around this concept of ego, which is, you know, taught, discussed in all different kinds of spiritual traditions and obviously in psychology. And I realize now that I had this idea all along, whatever lens I was viewing things through, I had this idea that the ego was bad and that the ego should be avoided and that the ego shouldn't be trusted and that you shouldn't feed the ego. You know, all these, like, slay the ego. The mm -hmm. ego is the enemy. All these ideas. And I think I was totally wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, I mean, now the way I see it, and I'm sure a year from now I'll have a, a different point of view, but for today, the way I see it is like, no, the ego is not bad and it's not good. It's just... It's just a human experience, basically, or the, the experience of one individual. And you can make with it whatever you want to. That's the exciting part, is that we're actually all creators. Yeah. And we can celebrate our ego, and we can, we can use our ego to express whatever it is that we find meaningful and want to express in the world, as long as we stop treating our ego as if it's an enemy. Yeah. You know, if we become allies with it. And say, hey, the, let's all be on the same team here. What are we going to do together? Yeah. That's fun. Well, because ultimately, right, is that's that's what holds the ego is the fear, is the judgment, is the you know um, comparisons to others and things like that. And it's like we can't pretend that that's not there. We can befriend it, you yes. know, and be like, oh, this keeps me motivated. Let's make sure that motivation is coming from a, a good spot and not just like competition or, you know, being right. better than or whatever. But like, I mean, I guess some people talk about like shadow work or, you know, things like that, that like, um, and I, I feel this is true. I'm not great at it, but like when we can start to embrace the ego really of ourselves, this like shadow side or the egotistical side or whatever is where like profound healing Totally. Comes, yeah. And uh, people like Dr. Gabor Mate, he's also good friends with uh, Richard Schwartz, who has the internal family systems. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. spent time studying that. Um, but really helps offer this perspective. You know, take something like addiction, for example. Whatever the addiction is, doesn't matter. It could be buying clothes, drugs, whatever. If you look at why that person is doing that addictive behavior, they're doing it to get some kind of relief and some kind of peace in their life because they're suffering. And is that okay for a person to want to get a little bit of relief and peace in life? Of course it is. So there's some part of you, that, whoever this addict is, you know, myself, I've had my own addictions in life. There's some part of me that wants to give me relief because it has compassion for me, yeah. because it wants me to live and thrive and enjoy my life. And so this part of me that's, you know, maybe tempting me to engage in some addictive behavior, it actually loves me. It actually mm -hmm. wants the best for me. And it, you know, it, it's, 
it's doing it in a way that maybe is not serving me well and then I can like examine that and I can I can talk to that part of myself and say like hey I see that you want peace for me I see that you want relief for me and thank you so much for caring about me and wanting that for me is there another way that we could get it mm-hmm. instead of this thing that's actually causing all these other problems that um, but to notice that the root of all these things we do is actually coming from compassion. It's not coming from self-hate. It's not coming from wanting us to destroy ourselves. Yeah. Um, a question that keeps kind of coming, or I guess a topic that keeps coming to mind is um, you having grown up in a Christian religion, because mm-hmm. I'm from the Midwest, actually grew up Catholic. I was ordained she- as an elder when I was 16. That's amazing, <laughs> as an elder. Um, and how, like the way I see it, and I don't, I don't know. It's just the 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 image that works for me is I feel like eventually I kind of grew through religion to get to the other side of it. I don't know how you picture it, but what was your like spiritual journey? Sounds like maybe away yeah. from maybe doctrine yes. um, into something yes. bigger or uh, more. I, I'm so happy you keyed in on that about me because it's it's totally true. I've I don't do well with boxes. I don't like it when society creates boxes. I don't like when people try to put me in a box. Um, and while I had incredibly positive and meaningful experiences both in the Christian Church and in Buddhism, at some point they started to feel like a box. Uh, and I just don't do well with boxes. I just have this like deep need to feel totally free mm-hmm. to explore my own experience of life and the world and whatever this is that we're all going through um, in a way that's authentic to me. So now I'd say um, like authenticity is really what I'm most interested in right now. I'm learning how to discover my own authenticity and how to rest in it because I realize now looking back that um, I I so easily can fall into these uh, like habits of just being the person that everyone else around me wants me to be or being the person that everyone else around me expects me to be because I love them and I you know I want to do right by them or whatever um, but along the way I end up like abandoning myself and so now I'm in this stage of really trying to discover like who am I what gives me joy what what gives me the sense of purpose and passion in life and how do I share that with other people because it's true to me and it's not something that I'm like artificially creating but also this um process of discovering one's own authenticity I suspect it's similar for other people but like the first, you know, I don't know, maybe a few years or something of stepping into that. It's a little, I feel like a toddler, like I'm totally clumsy. I'm like, it's a toddler learning how to walk and I keep tripping. Because mm-hmm. particularly in relationships, you know, any type of relationship, family, friends, whatever, uh, when you start showing up differently, it totally changes the dynamic with those other people. Um, and, you know, sometimes people get a little hurt or offended by that. I didn't mean to hurt or offend them. I'm just trying to show up for myself for the right. first time. So that can be like a little bit bumpy and confusing. Uh, and I'd say I'm still kind of working my way through that. But the thing that I keep coming back to, both in terms of my relationship with myself 
and in terms of my relationship with others is like the, the thing that's really going to create healing and growth is consistency. Like just consistently showing up for myself and consistently showing up for these other people that I care about, even if I mess up every time. It's like, okay, I'm just going to keep trying. Yeah. And I hope that after some time that even if people are like, yeah, she was like really out of control and she said all these inappropriate things and she should have <laughs> been nicer and whatever, but she kept trying. Like yeah. that's the thing that I hope people say is like she, she, she kept trying to be who she wanted to be. Right. Yeah, I think about, I don't know if this is what you're referring to. I know in your bio you said you go back to Texas yeah. you know, quite a bit. And so sometimes I, I, I there was a quote, um, I don't know, maybe it was in um, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth maybe is what is coming to mind. But um, like if you think you're enlightened, go back to visit your <laughs> yes, family totally. or whatever, right? We kind of fall back into our roles and um, and it's hard to keep this person that you're trying to become when you're thrown back into, you yeah, know, maybe a way that... habits are so strong. Right. And, and the, f the familial dynamics or friend dynamics or whatever of, um, like you said, when one person in the system changes, it rocks the whole system. Mm -hmm. And other people might be resentful about mm -hmm. the change because they actually were pretty comfortable there. And so... Um, and then, and I guess maybe this is just a reflection more than a question, but like when I think about my journey, I'm in my 40s now, and just all the iterations of like figuring stuff out and then wanting to take that person back to an old system and like how obnoxious that probably was <laughs> or hopefully also with like more kindness and compassion at other times or whatever that it's such a... It, it's kind of messy. Yeah. And then assuming that I'm not fully, I don't know everything right now either. So that's like going to continue to shift. Yeah. Over time. I love this word messy. It's like every time I hear it, I'm like, yes, like I'm messy. My life is messy, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's so rich. You know, there's mm -hmm. so much going on. There's so many interesting like aspects to this messy experience we're all having. And also, you know, I, I also kind of have this idea that like when I imagine myself at this arbitrary finish line, whatever that is, and I've accomplished everything and I've, you know, mastered all of my mind habits or whatever else, it seems really boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I love being in the messy middle. It's right. it's so interesting and what an adventure. Well, it's kind of like you're mining and then you yes. like keep finding gems and if you think you found them all and you stop mining then totally. you don't know what little gems are being left there to you know undiscovered totally. I guess or whatever. At the same time, I mean, it is interesting, you know, I have um when I have clients that are in their 20s and 20s has like this whole different energy, you know, and like you can't give them 40 year old wisdom when you're mm -hmm. 20, right? Like you right. have, they, that's earned, you know, basically. And I think about that, you know, for people in their 60s looking like, oh, when I was 40, I really thought, you know, I figured stuff out. But what I will say is if nothing else, we're at least gaining wisdom yes. for the process along the way. Like, I don't know how many truths are being, like you said, like there's truths you've known along the way that then were challenged or reformatted or shifted. You know, it's like, oh, maybe that wasn't the truth. Maybe that was like a portal, you know, on my journey, you know, to travel through and that, um, and maybe we get, I feel like I get better at like 
oh, seeing the journey as like um, that experience meaning something, not what the truths yes. that I gathered and then let go of at some point. Like, I love this moment where something like that, like some profound truth about life that we've heard a thousand times before. Since we were five years old, we've heard people saying this, but it's just like, then one day we just actually get to taste it. This happened to me the other day. Uh, I was painting my fence and I was thinking about uh, Karate Kid, you know, yeah. where they're doing the paint the fence. Yeah. And and I was, so, this fence, there's such a saga story around how long this fence was taking me to, I was just, and I'd gotten this new puppy and I was like, oh, if only I could have the fence done, then my life would be more exactly. peaceful with this puppy driving me crazy. Uh, <laughs> and, but it just kept one thing after another. I was like, oh, the fence is never going to get done. It's never going to get done. And I was out there painting it and I had Mr. Miyagi in my brain. And all of a sudden, I don't know how or why, all of a sudden it just clicked for me. It was like, oh, the fence is never gonna be done. Like, I, why do I even care about the fence, when it's gonna be done or if it's gonna be done? But like, I'm just gonna enjoy this moment of painting it mm. and not care about if I'm gonna finish painting it. Yeah. I'm just gonna like really soak in this moment and I'm gonna paint it for the sake of having this experience of painting it, not for the sake of finishing it. And. It was so enjoyable. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, I've heard this so many times, but I've <laughs> never actually tasted this experience of just enjoying something for the sake of doing it, not for the sake of finishing something or accomplishing something. Yeah. So I try to I try to keep that uh, paint the fence in mind. It helps to have some inspiration from Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting too, because I think you're right in that we we can taste these moments of those things and it's but it's really hard to keep for all yeah. the other things you know all the other um bits of life that are you know we feel either whether it's pressure or something we really want like you said um it's so funny there's a few things in my life that my life would just be better <laughs> if this if that if you know whatever so it's like a good reminder to um you know, just recognize life is actually pretty good. Yeah. Know, even without those things. So. And and sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's painful and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like for so long I tried to, it's almost like I was ashamed of my own pain. I had mm -hmm. this idea that like I should be happy and I should be peaceful and I should be just have high energy and share it with people. Yeah. And so for a long time, without realizing it, I was just like acting that way. I was like acting fearless because that was sure. the goal in Buddhism. And so I was acting joyful and I was acting compassionate because I was trying to be this thing that I wanted to be instead of just noticing. Like, so now, I mean, I, I think just actually, we were just describing this tape. You have these moments where you can taste these experiences. So we all have moments where we can like taste fearlessness where mm -hmm. we get to experience it. Maybe it's for half a second, but it's like, just to notice, ah, okay, my mind has this quality, which is fearlessness, that I have the capacity to tap into. Uh, instead of like, I feel like before I was like sitting around trying to create this, it's like, okay, sure. now I'm going to be fearless. Yeah, I'm going to talk <laughs> myself into it. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And, and in the process, I think what I was slowly doing was like, um, you know, denying my own authentic experience. And I was being dishonest with myself about mm -hmm. what I was actually experiencing. 
Yeah. So now I'm in this process of just, I'd say my, my, my practice now is just noticing what I'm experiencing. And one of the things that I've been, that's been very helpful for me that I learned from Gavarmate is to work with the body, to just notice what we feel in our body. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's become such a strong habit for me now that I'll notice what's happening in my body before I notice that I'm having an emotion. So it's like, oh, I feel some tension in my shoulders right now. I'm like, ah, okay, so there's some tension there. Okay, what do you know? There's some fear there too. Okay, what am I afraid of? And and this act of asking ourselves, what's happening in my body right now? Mm-hmm. It's such a powerful question because no matter what the answer is, it always brings us back to the present moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we it's such a such a beautiful invitation to just let go of all these thoughts that we can't stop having about yesterday and tomorrow and what we should have done and what we could have done and what we might do and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, okay, it's, it's just, it's, that's so exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and to just say, what am I feeling in my body right now? It's like, ah, okay, I'm back, I'm back right. to this moment right here, right now. Right. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking I had someone recently, like their goal for therapy was to quiet their mind. And I'm like, well, not so much turning it off you know like I think some people think like they just don't want to have like have thoughts or whatever it's more about what are you paying attention to yeah you know that um and also that you get to choose uh like we're all completely free no one is controlling what we pay attention to we get to decide yes and that other and that the reason your brain goes to certain things is because of your previous experiences. Yes. So when I get people to understand that um, not everyone would respond to that particular thing the way you do, yeah. that's not like obvious. That's your thing. It's your body telling you you have a relationship with this that's unique or you know for you, and that's what we're going to look at here. You yeah. know, it's not like. I mean, obviously there's some situations that most people would have a response to, but there's a lot of, I do couples work as um, a like specialty of mine. And so um, trying to get them to see that like you are with this particular partner and this particular thing that you say or do or don't do or whatever bothers them because they have their own stuff, right? It's, and, and you could find another partner where that thing does not bother them but you're, there's something else you're doing that would bother them that this person doesn't care about, right? Because we all have our unique experiences that trigger, you know, for lack of a better, better word, these responses, these automatic responses for us, right? So, um, and that's just part of something I like to think about is like when I'm feeling anxious, let's say, is like acknowledge like, of course you're anxious. This, there's some big stuff coming up, yes. right? Or like give yourself some grace for... Um, yeah, this is a particularly vulnerable thing, you know, totally. you're about to do or what, whatever that I have a unique relationship with whatever it is that I'm stewing about. And um, that's okay. And yeah. I don't have to stay there. Exactly. Yeah. I've really come to see these, these emotions like fear in particular probably is the strongest one. Um, you know, of course, I don't enjoy them. I don't enjoy experiencing fear. But I'm grateful for the fear because I recognize that that fear is indicating to me that I have some need that's not Mm -hmm. being met. And maybe it's from my past when that need was not met. But either way, like there's this basic human need that every human has. I'm not like I'm not immature or childish or egotistical or whatever because I have this need to feel safe. 
for example. Uh, And so when I'm experiencing fear, it's like, okay, there's some, I have a need to experience safety right now. And like, thank you so much, fear, for helping me become aware of that. Because if I didn't become aware of that, I would go right back down this road to burnout. Yeah. And I think that this, this um, subconscious decision I made to ignore my emotions is like what led me down the path to burnout. I think if I hadn't cut myself off from my emotions, it, it wouldn't have happened because I would have been able to get the cues that I needed from those emotions to help me realize what I needed to change in my life yeah. and what needs I had that I had an opportunity to meet. Yeah. So speaking of change, <clears throat> I mean, it sounds like you pretty much restructured your life mm-hmm. um, in that you um, are a life coach. And is that primarily your job? Yep. Now and I have a podcast do. as well. Yeah. And, and I do uh, retreats, like with the coaching incorporating. Um, so I have a cabin on my property. I'm doing private retreats for women five days at a time. Um, and nice. probably next year I'll start doing some more um, group retreats, particularly working with people that are in positions of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's so much potential, both good and bad. Anytime someone's in a position of leadership where they have a big influence over a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really want to support people in those roles to find their own integrity and their own internal cues that let them know that they're aligned with their own values uh, because I think that's so important. I think it can have such an impact on so many people. Yeah, yeah, great. And so what are your, like when you think about that life that you had, um, working full-time, volunteering full-time, parenting full-time, um, what, I guess like, is there a through line lesson that you learned? Because obviously you're living life at a different um like, you know, vibration, I guess I yeah. would say, than like the frantic um, energy that that had, but you're still doing it. You're, you're cared for, you have a home, um, you can take care of your child. And so what, like, what's that lesson that you learned about thinking it had to be this way, but really it can be this way? Great question. The lesson that I learned is that everything that I'm looking for like all of the answers, all of the experiences, all of the insight, all of the possibilities, they're all within me. And, and I don't mean that in a way that like I exist on an island. In fact, I, I've, I've had the like isolation island experience and I don't like it at all. I, I've realized how crit- absolutely critical it is to like just be in relationship with other people. It's like what makes the world go around, and it gives us life energy, or at least me. Um, But just this really deep conviction that I don't, like all of my needs are met internally. They're not met externally. I think a lot of us run around looking for external solutions to our problems or external sources of energy or support but it's like inside we have a limitless well of energy and inspiration that we can draw from anytime we want and and it it never goes away it never abandons us it never goes to sleep it's like always there waiting for us whenever we want to tap into it uh and that has been something that you know i i don't it's not like i remember that all the time you know it's like a practice of trying to remember that 
Um, actually, I'm trying not to say the word trying all the time because I realized, like, what is trying? I think trying actually just means thinking about. Because if you say, you know, actually, Gabor will do this thing. He says, what is it? How do you try to stand up? Like, try to stand up. Right. And then the person will stand up. He said, no, you are standing up. He said, now try to stand up. And then they just sit there. Like, okay, see, like, trying is... You're either doing something or you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so my practice is to, as often as possible, notice this truth that I have an opportunity to experience anything I want to experience. And I can create that. And I think I also, I don't think I've found the words quite yet to describe the part of that that I just said, which is also like in no way self-judging or blaming, um, because I also want to acknowledge that if particularly in moments where I was burnt out and afraid and lonely or any of those other things, and someone told me something like, well, happiness is a choice. Yeah. Then I'd be like, okay, just F you. screw you. Yeah, yeah. like, what, are you here to help me? Like, that's not really helpful. Um, and so I don't, I don't want anyone to hear my words and think that I'm trying to suggest that this is somehow, like, easy or obvious. I don't think it's easy or obvious. I think it's very simple, though. And it's this constant practice of, of coming back home this wonderful feeling when you come home and it, it, maybe if you've been away for a while and you just like smell your home and you the lights are like just the way that you like them and maybe your pet's there or whatever you just have this wonderful feeling in your heart like ah this space just like welcomed me back in and wrapped its arms around me i'm practicing coming back home to myself mm -hmm. as often as i can and what I've noticed when I think about, you know, my um, kind of drive to always serve others and do for others, what I've noticed is that the more I am at home within myself, the more I'm able to support people in their process of returning home within themselves. Mm. And so even though I'm like focused on myself and doing what I need, it turns out to be the best I can do for others as well. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful thing. It's hard to keep in mind, particularly when um, the, the thing I'm struggling with the most right now is when I have a need and I've recognized my need and then there's someone else, like maybe my daughter, for example, that has a need at the same time. Yeah. And then I just feel like crushed, like, oh, okay, like I'm getting pretty good at meeting my needs. But this moment where it's like me and another person have a need at the same time, I just feel like split in two and I get really stressed and then I have to kind of like find my way back home again yeah uh, but that's a beautiful practice and there's right. nothing else I'd rather be doing right well and it's not always going to be right like it's not just like you're tuning into yourself all the time and prioritizing that and that we get to be um, there's times we are going to drop ourselves there's times yeah. when we're going to drop other people you know it's like what what are you efforting Toward or trying, right, or doing, or, um, you know, I think especially, you know, I have, like I said, four kids, and they're actually, like, you know, one is five and one is almost 17, so in, in between, so I just feel like, ah, like they, they all have these very different needs, right? Um, but the best thing as in parenting, for sure, and probably with 
you know, friendships, relationships, whatever, too, is, like, the better regulated we are and, like, have, you know, like, our oxygen masks on, then the better we can serve them. And that, you know, for me, my my burnout was in the parenting realm for sure. And I think about why, mm-hmm. you know, I allowed myself to do that. And partially because I just wanted to do it really well, mm-hmm. you know. And I think for the most part, I didn't... Um, I definitely abandoned myself, you know, to tend to my children, but I don't think it, um, like, it didn't get so bad where I was mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like you know, I, I think they, they got through it pretty much okay. I still have a piece of myself that I was able, you know, to build off of. I think it, it could have been worse. Um, but I see that culture. Yeah. I mean, for all of us, whether it's your work, your kids, your partner, your volunteer job or whatever, where we throw ourselves into these things thinking, if I can just do this really well or perfectly or whatever, there's going to be some payout yeah. that you're going to benefit from. But the truth is you only benefit from like taking care of yourself as yes. part of that because you're not there to reap the benefits if there's nothing left of you. Totally. Yeah. I'm so curious, like what helped you kind of get off that burnout train and get back to this place of showing up for yourself? Yeah. Um, well, I think it was really when physically I just started to feel like this isn't sustainable. I think there's something about parenting hormones and pregnancy hormones and all mm-hmm. of that that keep you going. Plus you look around and everyone else is more or less doing that, you know, mm-hmm. as well. It's pretty normalized. Um, I remember, I think it was Oprah who had said something like, you know, like, like first things will like whisper to you softly and then they Mm -hmm. like knock softly and eventually they're going to like hit you over the head and like make you listen like Mm -hmm. to what you need. And I feel like it didn't quite get that far, but it was definitely like I started having headaches. My brain fog was crazy. I just felt out of sorts. And for me, as someone who identified as, um, I show up for things. I don't drop balls. I got it all in here in my head. Um, and I do my best and my intentions are always good. You know, like I'm striving mm-hmm. um, to feel like I was dropping balls. I wasn't showing up in a way I felt good about. I was unprepared. Like I started to not be able to recognize myself. Mm. And so even though myself is that like overachiever person, I saw that I can't um, bet is still true. I want to show up. I want to be intentional, but I can't keep doing it at the sacrifice of just like filling my cup. And I'm like middle age now. So my body will tell me every yeah. time, you know, if, um, if I'm overdoing it, like I just can't get away with it anymore. You yeah. Know, I I, man, I've it. really come to value sleep a lot. Totally. <laughs> it's like, yes. wow, what a friend sleep is. Right. If you can get it. Yeah. Cause that's another, I mean, um, I just had, a guest on, we were talking about um, like menopause and stuff like that and how, you know, for us women, that stuff, you know, like hormones matter and um, really just tuning into your body. And and for many of my peers, I feel like that's also their first sign of mm-hmm. like, wow, I can't keep putting myself on the back burner anymore. I have to, um, I just have to show up for myself because like we just keep learning time and time again that, oh, Yep, I'm dropping myself here. And I can't yeah. show up in the way I want to if I keep doing that. For me, it really becomes 
you know, the outer things like making sure I'm feeding myself and moving my body and getting some sunlight, all those things I think are super important. But for me, what makes all those things work, like what gets all the puzzle pieces to fit together is when I am able to cultivate genuine compassion for myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big part of my practice now. It's just like allowing my mind, it's, it's kind of back to that, like learning how to rest thing. It's like learning to let my mind and my heart open up to this experience of genuinely feeling love and compassion toward myself that like I'm worthy of love I am just a wonderful beautiful creature and just as much as everyone else is that I'm trying to do all these things for and to really try to keep that in mind because I also um in the past you know I'd have like for example with something like exercise I'm sure many people can relate to this. You know, you start to beat yourself up for it. It's like, oh, I should exercise. I should be exercising right now. Like, I should. And then when you do, it's kind of like, okay, I did the thing I was supposed to do. It's like, I don't really want to exercise from that motivation. Yeah. I want to exercise from this motivation that's like, oh, I love myself and I love my body and I want myself to have energy and I want myself to feel good in my body. And so in order to give myself that gift, I'm going to give myself the gift of exercise instead of seeing it as a chore. And I, I actually started, um, and I mean, I'm still working on this too. I have not at all mastered this. But I started just by doing the smallest things for myself, like making myself a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But really with the intention of like, I'm not just making myself this tea so that I can like get, check my box of having these herbs today or whatever. I'm making myself this cup of tea because I want to take five minutes to really direct my mind toward this experience of giving myself a gift that's going to give my body some kind of nurturing and care. And with this genuine sense of kindness, just like, you know, I had to think about like, well, what would I do if one of my friends was down and burnt out and out of energy and sad and lonely and all these other things? So like, oh, well, if they came over, probably the first thing I would do is make them a nice cup of tea. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to make myself a nice cup right. of tea then. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because when you were talking about tea, I was thinking about um, a couple of years ago when I was realizing I'm pretty burnt out and a little bit lost. I I would always tell my description was untethered. Mm. I just felt like I wasn't tethered to something and I was kind of afloat. And um, one of the things I realized is I never wash my face. Mm. Like I'm, I'm just too exhausted. And I'm like, the only time I'm in the bathroom, there's definitely a child, if not more (sighs) in there and I'm brushing their teeth or giving them a bath or doing whatever. And so recently I've realized I, I wash my face most nights. Nice. Like I've actually been doing that. Like I set an intention to do that and it's not every night, but it made me realize too that once, yes, I'm doing that, but I wasn't really giving myself, I wasn't giving myself um, credit credit yeah. for, for doing that and taking care of myself in that way because I'm very much aware of all the other things that I maybe not doing, yeah. you know, and I do yoga more and I like, like, I guess our accomplishments are harder to be like, oh, wait a minute, let's take a look. Totally. You know, a couple years ago, you wouldn't actually even recognize this. And yes, maybe, you know, I don't know if we ever feel like we're where we really want to be maybe in all of those things with authenticity and intentionality and, and all of the things we know are good for us and getting all of that in. But, um, you know, we're 
making effort and prioritizing things that we weren't before and that deserves some gratitude if nothing totally. else. Totally. You know? That's been a that's another thing that I'm really uh, consciously trying to pay attention to is celebrating the things that I've accomplished. We're so quick to look over that and just jump on to the next thing and yeah. it's still something that I'm, I'm I'm very much learning how to do. I have not really learned it that well yet. Uh, but I know, you know, I'll get this incessant narrative going on in my head around, I haven't done enough today, I haven't done enough this week, I haven't done enough this month. And every single time I start to notice that narrative playing, I'll just sit down and I'll just write, if it's like that day, I'll just write all the things I did that day. Yeah. And then I look at that list and I'm like, holy shit, right? I did so many things today. <laughs> like, why is this yeah. narrative playing in my head? Right. It doesn't even make sense. And I'm like, okay, I need to celebrate. Wow, I, I like made progress in eight different areas of my life in one day. Yeah. It's awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're kind of, we have to deprogram ourselves, I feel like, I guess, to, um, to th- just shift that um, thought process from what didn't I get done and feeling yeah. bad about that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Since yeah. That's one of the reasons um, I, I met you. Yeah, you know, I started the podcast, uh, I think it's fair to say that really, I just wanted to express myself. I just wanted to, you know, this this whole new journey with authenticity is like, I want to just discover who I am. And part of the process of discovering who I am is just like sharing what's what I feel, what I think, and particularly having that exchange with other people. I mean, I love this conversation is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's so wonderful to just like exchange our human experiences. I I thought Mm -hmm. I often say like, all I want to do is like sit on my porch with another human and be like, this is what I'm noticing about the human experience. (laughs) Like, what are you noticing? Let's exchange notes. Uh, So I, you know, I bring guests on who strike me as having this authentic quality uh, and the other two qualities I really look for and also um, celebrate about myself are boldness and kindness. Mm. And so as I was starting the podcast, those three words, authentic, bold, and kind, it's like, those are the three things that I want to be. Those are the three things that I have so much fun when I like see them in other people. And so, um, so there's not really like a thread of particular topics that we explore. Of course, all these things around emotions and burnout and stuff seems to come up on probably every episode. Um, but mostly it's about, I'm just so curious to explore with people their authenticity and mm-hmm. what they're noticing about the world. Um, so yeah, it's called Shine Freely and I've been doing that for about a year now and we'll see where it goes. It's fun. Yeah, I'm so curious, fun. like what was your inspiration for starting this podcast? Um, well, shortly after we moved here, it was actually right before COVID. Um, we've been here a little over five years now. And um my husband had been invited to a men's fire where he just met. I mean, and we had been here a little while, like a year, let's say. And so we knew some people, but it was really interesting for him to go to a place where there were like 30, even 40. I mean, it just seemed like quite a gathering. Cool. And um, I don't even know where they met anyway. And I thought about that and I was like, I want, I am, I feel like I'm a community builder. I think nice. if I had to, um, like describe myself. That was something I'd used to describe. I think there's something about to like getting together with other people and sharing experiences and then lightening our own load and realizing we're not the only ones and hearing how they got through it or what techniques they 
um, have used or um, even like an elders, you know, or women who are um, maybe a decade ahead, you know, or parenting for sure, you know, um, that when our when if you go to play groups when your kid is little, you know, women gather in those ways about overparenting. But what if we were able to gather in ways that were just like about us, you know, not just Beautiful. this one part of our life. So I hosted a women's fire and I invited the people I knew and asked, just told them bring bring friends or a friend or whatever. And I feel like that was like in January because I remember it was winter and then COVID hit in March mm. and I was going to maybe do like every other month or whatever. And so then once we could meet outside and that was all okay, I think maybe that summer um, I've had a couple and I've just kind of had them here or there. Um, I've had, I've hosted some um, fires for women who like one of my friends was going to be starting chemotherapy. Another friend was moving out of state and it was kind of her goodbye fire. And um, I recently had a fire. I wanted to gather with women who are also parenting teenage girls Mm. and to talk about like, um, you know, my question for the group or, you know, we kind of went around and talked about was like, what was your relationship with your mother when you were a teenager and how is that informing like your parenting choices now or what Mm -hmm. you want it to be or whatever. And so um, every time I have a fire, like I feel like women are just like blown away. Like for me, Mm. I'm a therapist. I, I know like this was my jam, yeah, you know? totally. but I feel like I'm, you know, inviting women where this isn't, maybe they haven't had this experience, you know, or, um, they just don't really get it in their life regularly where they're like hearing other people's stories and really like, um, getting something out of it. And so many women are like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. Thank you so much. Like, it just feels so special. And then, um, I was talking to a woman about parenting and I'm, I'm like an elder parent. I'm friends with quite a few women were like, maybe their oldest is six. My youngest is almost six. And so um, I have some wisdom maybe, <laughs> you know, that that um, that they appreciate. And one of them said, I wish you had a podcast. Nice. Um, so I could like go back and listen to this episode or something like that. And then like three days later, I was like, well, that's funny. Like I could do that. And, and I'm friends with... Um, um, Terry, who works here, and his wife, and or um, with Kirsten, his partner, and anyway, um, I just then asked about like, could I do something like that there? And that's kind of how it got. So it's really built around sharing stories, beautiful, and um, really seeing the. Uh, one of my like taglines was like the um, like interesting stories of ordinary women, you know, or like you know that we all have something you know, some journey we've been on that other people can relate to and learn from. It's so beautiful. And we're beautiful. just normal Wisconsin women here. We need more <laughs> of that in the world, um, particularly the the in-person gatherings. Uh, and I have a, I don't know how it's going to shape itself or manifest, but I have this really strong desire and passion to to create more experiences like that for people and, and perhaps like physical spaces where basically I think these things around connecting, around community, being support for each other when we go through these difficult periods in life, celebrating when we accomplish something, all just these basics, that, but they're also like deeply spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like we're all, I mean, at least I am, but I feel like all of us are, are just hungry for more of that. And it just feeds the soul in such a beautiful way. And church is not meeting that need for so many people. Mm. For some people it is, and that's wonderful. Or other religions of any kind, I'm very happy for people who feel like those are meeting their needs. Uh, but for people like me, I'm like, I need a church without religion. Yeah, That's what I need. Mm. I want a community of people that support each other, that celebrate together, and that basically are oriented toward love. Mm. And, and I think that there's a lot of people like me out in the world right now who... Um, are yearning for that. And I think in the past, church or, or organized religion in general met that need for a lot of people. I think a lot of people have also experienced what I did, where it's like in the absence of organized religion, we turned to our jobs to try to mm. fill that purpose. And that got all wonky for various reasons. Um, so I feel like it's, it's, it's like coming. It, you know, it's like the world is ripe for this, some kind of new version of church without religion <laughs> and yeah. i don't know what it looks like but i'm excited to watch it manifest yeah. and be part of it right and since you i mean i would say sacred like it yes. feels when i've when we're kind of disbanding and everyone's going back many women are like oh i don't want to leave right like they're tapping into something that we don't get and yeah. there is just something sacred about sitting around a fire and even people that you've known you know for a few years or you talk about, you know, everyday life, you get to sit and get a little deeper and hear, um, yeah, a little bit more about that person. It's like you're, you, you can't, you can't, um, you can't undo that. And, um, and you're like changed, like that relationship totally. shifts, you know? Yeah. It's such a beautiful thing. I really admire you for, for having the courage to yeah, just invite people into that experience. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, this has been really nice, really yeah. amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it was so nice having you, and um, perhaps we'll do this again sometime. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Vicki. Thanks, Michelle. Yep. Thanks again to Vicki for coming in and being a guest. Um, it felt really good to have such a thoughtful conversation with such a wonderful person. So um, I'm happy to leave you with that for the week, and um, hopefully you're enjoying the end of October here. It's going to be November soon. The snow's about to fly, and I hope everyone stays nice and cozy, maybe even around the fire. All right, take care, everyone. I'll leave you with Elise Nicole.